CavsCorner.com podcast. CavsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. And brought to you all football season long by the good folks over at Thorium Wealth. Check them out online, ThoriumWealth.com, for more information and full disclosures. Our thanks to Thorium Wealth for their support of this show and all of CavsCorner.com all football season long. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the palatial Franklin States in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, October the 2nd. Virginia on its bye week, coming off of a 35-20 to 20 loss at Notre Dame. Um, we will definitely be getting into that. Two of these uh, three panelists uh, were in attendance. Um, one in the stands and one in the press box, which apparently has a lounge, which we're not going to get into, or at least until later when I can bludgeon myself in the eye with a hammer. Um, but <laughs> we're going to talk about all of it. Um, speaking of bludgeoning uh, ourselves in the head with a hammer, uh, I'm in Fishersville. David Smith is on the show. How are you, my friend? That was the best. I guess in, that was the best intro you've ever gotten. <laughs> <laughs> I, brought, I brought the hammer. Oh, who days on the board? At who days on Twitter? And uh, up in Reston, staff writer Justin Ferber also on the show. How are you, buddy? I'm good. Uh, trying to be the hammer and not the nail. I wow. guess mm. I don't know. I don't. I don't get all these hammer jokes, but whatever. <laughs> add add underscore. Add, wow. wow. Add Justin on underscore Ferber <laughs> on Twitter. Cavs Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore corner, great place for the in-game updates, content items, and the occasional witty banter. Um, all right, so if you had told me Virginia was going to be up uh, 17-14 and then get the onside kick to start the second half, I mean, I would not have expected the Cavaliers to lose considering what we've seen of them as a second-half team this season. Um, I don't want to go directly to the offensive line because I, I think that's the – I don't want to even call it the elephant in the room. That's the, that's the obvious thing that we need to talk about. Um, but – I will also I just want to talk about how weird it was for Virginia to look that good in one half and just be completely um, atrocious in a lot of ways, right, in the second half, um, at least offensively. I mean, defensively, I mean, I think they, they did what they could. Um, so let's start the discussion there. Um, everybody, I guess, is at this point where you watch the game. What really stands out to you about that? Uh, let's just talk about the game in general, Dave. Let's start there. Let's start general. What stands out to you? Um, now that you've had some time, you've gotten back to the Commonwealth, you've had a chance to rewatch the game. What stands out to you about the loss? Yeah. I mean, Notre Dame's a really good team. Um, I mean, let, let's not take any credit away from them. They, they've they lost one game in the last two years. Um, and Or two games in the last two years. Two and games. that was to Georgia and to Georgia and to Alabama, right? I mean, nothing, nothing to hang your Clemson. heads about. Oh, I'm sorry, Clemson, yeah. Well, let me, They're I did pretty not much bring the, the same hammer thing. tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they lost to pr- two pretty good teams, um, and they've handled all their other teams pretty comfortably. And look, they're a lot. They're a big team, and you, you uh, I was impressed with them. Um, so I mean, overall, the game I thought Virginia didn't look like you know at least in the first half they looked like they belonged on the field with them. They didn't come out scared, and even in the second half as they got away, they never looked scared. Um, they. Certainly, I would hate to see this team like four years ago play there. Uh, that was a big environment, um, and and they came out, came out, and honestly, kind of took it to them a little bit in in the first half, especially the second quarter. And and I was very happy with the way things were, and even starting the third quarter, even midway through the third quarter, I thought they were holding up. But um, at some point, Notre Dame just realized, hey, we're bigger, and we're just going to run the ball on offense, and we're just going to pound on them. Um, and you know, you know, the deficiencies. <laughs> deficiency showed up and Virginia made a few mistakes. I mean, Virginia had five turnovers and was still in that game for, you know, still had a chance to get, make that a game late. 
Um, and that's resiliency we haven't seen before. So I'm, I'm not going to, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, I mean, they're four and one at this point last year, we were three and two and we had lost to Indiana, um, and NC state. Right. So, you know, we're, we're four and one and two and oh in the conference. So things are definitely improving. That was just, that was a really good team who found what our weakness was and exposed it with the strength of theirs. Yeah, that's fair. It's, you you said baby out with the bathwater, which is really funny because I was literally thinking before that that it's it, it it's not productive, right, for us to sort of look back on this game and try to pretend like that resiliency wasn't there. Um, to your point a minute ago about uh, you know if this team had played this game several years ago, what would the result be? I think back to um, I mean there there've been a bunch of games right where Virginia had a good start uh, and then faltered. We've seen in this season right where when they've had a bad start and still come back. I think the next gear for this group is to be able to have a good start and have the other team make some plays and then it not really the bottom to fall out, even though the, the score, I mean, look, it was only 15 points. It's, it's essentially two, two scores. Um, but at the same time, it, it, that second half made it feel differently, right? And um, I, I almost wonder if you flipped them, right? And the first half was the second half, and Virginia's down – you know, pretty decently at the half and then comes back and, and makes makes that game what it is, playing as well as they did in that first half, we, we wouldn't feel this way. Uh, the, the unfortunate thing for this result, right, is that there was it was just all on the table. And despite what, you know, some of the players may have said about, it, you know, it's not disappointing, I think it has to be. Ferber, as you've had some some time away from it and now you've had a chance to rewatch it, I'm guessing, and you, you obviously – uh, you're the analytical one of the group. Dave's the historian. I'm the blowhard. Just saying for anybody who's wondering what our um, what our Golden Girls uh, attachments were, but w- you're the analytical one. So as you look back on this thing, what went wrong for them? Was it just the offensive line, and and how much can you take away from what you saw on Saturday afternoon? Yeah, I mean the offensive line is certainly the the big you know headline. There's no way around it. it you know we can talk about other stuff, but. But it is what it is. Um, the pressure was getting there. And, and honestly, the way that Notre Dame defended UVA is probably the best way for most teams to do it. Now, I mean, most teams that UVA plays aren't going to have the pass-rushing talent that Notre Dame has. But you have to remember, Notre Dame only had four sacks coming in in their first three games. So it's not like they had a dominant pass rush coming in. But they do have talent. And, you know, the the, the blueprint is there now. You know, you rush your base package, you, you rush your linemen, especially if it's a 4-3, then you drop everybody else into coverage. And maybe you add an extra DB and just play nickel and drop everybody into coverage. And, you know, UVA has a lot of routes deep down the field that take a long time to develop. And I think that led to at least one of the strip sacks was one where Bryce, you know, the, the, the player that got to him was being blocked by Wayne Talapapa. Um, who was basically doing the best he could to hang on. And, you know, the play just took way too long to develop because he's trying to hit a deep pass down the field. And sometimes that ball's just got to be out a little quicker. But for the most part, it was just breakdowns at the tackle position. Uh, UVA's inability to run the ball uh, obviously doesn't help. And that goes back to blocking as well, I believe. But, yeah, I mean, that that honestly, it, it's, it's not just the five guys and how they're playing uh, – on each play, and uh, actually, I guess I should say more than five guys because they rotate in and out. But um, it's it's kind of like everything on the offense is creating the problem with the blocking. With you know, the routes are too deep down the field, which take too long to develop. They're not getting big separation sometimes, which so Bryce holds on to the ball too long. 
holding on to the ball too long can can be a problem even if the blocking is good. And then you have the plays where the blocking is just completely breaking down, which can kind of lead to uneven play across the board on other plays. Um, but, yeah, I mean, what Dave said is true. UVA was in this game. Uh, I thought the defense played pretty well except for uh, I'd say the run defense, the, the tackling in the run defense was spotty sometimes. They did a good job for most of the day, but there were, I think, two drives where they had some issues in that regard. Um, but other than that, I thought the defense played really well. If you look at the the box score, I mean, I think they both had ni- both teams had 19 first downs. UVA was outgained by five yards. Um, UVA outpassed them by almost 200 yards. Uh, obviously, got outrushed by quite a bit. Notre Dame had three more penalties in the game. Uh, UVA won the time of possession by I think like seven minutes, and like Dave said, had five turnovers and still were in the game. Right. Uh, for most of it. And I, I think they acquitted themselves pretty well, you know, considering the opponent and the environment and everything. Th- this team, you know, I could tell from the very beginning of the game, the first two drives, both touchdowns, um, one for UVA, one for Notre Dame, this was the best team that UVA has played by a lot. Like, there's, it's not close. And I think that they they hel- they hung on. They played to win. The onside kick was great. Um, it wasn't enough. But we, I don't think we, we uh, I don't think they got exposed in the way that, you know, like a bunch of weaknesses that we didn't know about popped up. It was more like the things that we already knew were a problem just became too much to overcome. And and even to that point, right, like Bryce Perkins was balling. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I have not seen him just be able to put the ball in the air as accurately as he did in that first half. I'm re- I remember a play in the opener, the home opener, um, there was this ball to Chapman in the corner of the end zone, and Ferber was very resolute that that's a that's a throw that Bryce should make. And I'll be honest, like I was like, I don't know if that's a throw he's ever going to be making. Dude, he threw those in this game. He made those throws. And I, I think if we step back from it and we look at it and say, all right, look, they're four and one. This was a game that didn't hurt them. Um, they obviously the best team they're going to play all season long. They played them and played well in spots. Didn't have enough to win, but this is a top. That's a top ten team. If the worst you can say is that Virginia has played pretty well this season and lost at, on the road against a top ten team by a couple scores when they had five turnovers and somehow were still you know in the game. I mean, they gave up eight sacks and thirteen TFLs. Like the fact that they were in the game at any point in that second half is kind of crazy if you think about it, right? Um, I, I don't want to say that. Everything is good because it's not. There's certainly some concerns we're we're about to get into. Um, but to Ferber's point, like it's not just one thing. It's not just like, oh, the guys didn't block well. The end. It's that you know there are. It's a cascade, and different pieces have to fit together. My my thing is that what you don't want to do is you don't want to make the margin for error um, smaller. And I feel like at times in this game, you saw UVA unable to make it uh, to unable to keep that from happening. Right. Um, I, I saw a team that was was good enough to win on most days. Probably if they if these two teams played ten times, Virginia would win a few of them, and that's good. That's a that's a good test. But the fact that it wasn't an ACC game, that's impossible for me to ignore. Like this is a team that has some issues, um, and these next five ACC games in a row will will tell us a lot. But man, I I, I definitely didn't come away. Um, I think if you come away from this frustrated, that's good because that means that you have the pieces to win some some games and do some some things this season. Um, it certainly wasn't the you know there's no apathy right. There's plenty of people who are really you know irked by the way Virginia played in this game and especially that second half. And that's a that's <laughs> a good th- that's a good thing right. That's a really good thing. Let's talk about the offensive line. 
if you Dave, if you could yeah. wave a magic wand, what 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 do you think went wrong in this game? And what as you watch the rewatch, what stood out to you about specifically about the line? I mean, look, we know the line was you know the point of interest going into the season. We saw it flare up some against ODU. They haven't been dominant and been able to rush the ball most of the year. Um, but they, you know, they've in games, they, it's weird. This offensive line, they've had some games where they're good at run blocking and games where they're good at pass blocking. And I think this past Saturday was just a, a game where they had neither. Um, and you can't have neither, right? But it's not the entire line. I don't want to like say the line is absolutely atrocious because I do feel like the interior of the line, especially with Olu back um, and whoever they're shuffling at guards, whether it's Glazer Nelson or, or Rinkers Meyer, whatever they end up doing at guard, like they've shown and some Bissinger. Uh, and Bissinger. Yeah. Yeah. He I actually like graded they, out pretty well. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the guards have played well and um, it, it's the, the tackles have struggled. Now, some of that, you know, we, we've talked about it before, but whether that's, you know, whether that's communication issues and knowing who to block, especially when teams are showing a blitz look on the edge or whether it's man to man, that's been a question up till this past Saturday where you could see it was just guys getting beat one-on-one. Um, and that's got to get better, whether that's – now, look, I, I, it's a very young offensive line. There's not a senior on it, right? I mean, you, Bronco said in the offseason we need some grad transfers in the offensive line. And like I told you guys in the, in the text thread this week, I think for now on, if we hear Bronco say we need a grad transfer somewhere, that's where our attention should be as a weakness for that season. Um because if you think about it, the grad transfers have been the best players on the offensive line for the past couple of years. Um, and that's not a knock on the talent of the guys we have. They're just young. And the offensive, very few schools play young offensive linemen. You know, good programs, they start as a junior after redshirting and, and kind of learning and bulking up for two years. Um, we've got a bunch of sophomores out there, a couple of juniors, and a couple of juniors who've had, haven't played a lot because of injury and certainly injuries now. So, it is a point of concern, whether it's scheme change or, or going big more or changing route concepts um, or taking some plays out of the playbook that take a little longer to develop. I think it's something that has to be addressed, certainly with, with, the, with the teams coming up on the schedule. But um, I, I don't know that there is a magic wand to fix it. Um, you know, it's, we're, They're going to have to figure out which two tackles are the best, and those guys are going to have to play a little better. Um, and they're going to have to figure out which interior three work best with those tackles. Um, it's a good time for a buy. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, Ferber, you uh, full disclosure. I had not like really done the deep dive into the numbers in Pro Football Focus and the grades and such. Ferber sent a, a text, and and I, I decided not to use it in the story because I thought I didn't want to steal it from you. But I kind of want to talk a little bit about where the pressures came from, and I don't do that because I want to single guys out. I don't think that's productive, but I do think it does help us frame the discussion. Um, in terms of what's you know what what is needed, I, I go back to and as I posted on the board, they sh- they shifted things on the offensive line prior to the season opener, right? We all know that, right? The, the depth chart we were given on a Monday wasn't the same as what it was uh, when they rolled everybody out. Um, I, I don't have a problem with coaches going with the lineup that they think is best. That that's coaching. Um, I, I do have a problem maybe with the idea that you, you had a bunch of dudes that practiced the same spots all of camp, um, and a couple of them, you know, admittedly banged up at, at some portion in that. And then right before the opener, you switch things up. And now, granted, they've had several games to get used to it, but it just doesn't look like this group to me has, has gelled in any meaningful way. 
And I think it's interesting to hear Bronco talk about like, oh, well, you know, we, we, we need to figure out the best five because, you know, we need them to be, um, you know, we need there to be some cohesion. And yet they keep moving dudes around. Now, granted, last week, different situation, right? You, you lose Olu, you have Fanning, he gets hurt. You got to move Rankinsmeyer. Now he's your third, your third center. And that's going to cause some upheaval of its own. But in general, I just I, I wonder I don't want to say this is self-inflicted because that's that's just too much. I don't know enough. And some of that's unanswerable. Right. You don't know how the the line as it was constructed prior to the opener would have played through these five games if it had stayed that way. But I do think it's worth discussing. Right. That Like we see the pressure coming from places where guys are not playing the position they were playing in the preseason. And I wonder if. One of the things we're going to see when when the team comes out of the bye is maybe that, that some of that is is back where it was. Now, granted, that's a sword because, hey, look, now you got dudes playing positions they haven't played in five games, right? Um, but maybe that's what needs to happen. Ferber, when you looked at the numbers and you saw where the pressures came from, who who gave up what sacks? What did that data tell you about what UVA um, needs to do at the, on the offensive line? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I'd have to go back and watch everything again because I, I, the, the one thing I think is interesting, and I'm sure that the, they're doing some self-scouting this week, is not necessarily always who gave it up, but but how, right? Was it, a, it like, because the cohesion thing only matters if the reason that the sacks are happening are guys coming in free that are unblocked because of bad communication. If you're just getting bull rushed and you just have bad technique, that's not a that's not a cohesion problem. That's just bad blocking. Um, well, I've seen a little bit of both uh, in the Notre Dame game. I'd have to go back and look at other games to figure out what's happened. I know there's been some some blitzers that have come free on Bryce, but it seems to me more like guys are just getting beat sometimes. Um, the, the the first strip sack, I'll just kind of go through it real quick. The first strip sack, like I said, Talapapa was blocking the end, who eventually got to Bryce just by being a lot stronger than a running back. Um, no, no real fault there. If anybody's fault at, at, but for that, that yeah, one, so that was on Bryce. That's, that was that's on right? Bryce. He just held the ball too long, and he could have stepped up in the pocket and maybe even run. But I think the fact that it was third and ten, which again goes back to my point about like it's everything on the offense combining to cause this problem. The only reason it's third and ten is because you can't run the ball. So that's creating a situation where these routes are taking so long to develop. But anyway, yeah, I mean, like almost all of the pressures came from the outside. Um, if you look at the sacks allowed by player on Pro Football Focus, uh, Rankinsmeyer allowed three. I believe he was playing tackle the entire game. Uh, Nelson allowed two. Uh, he was definitely the guy that got beat on the one that was returned for a touchdown, and that was not a uh, co- that was not a communication problem at all. He just got beat. Um, and then uh, I, I do want to say before you move off that one, I do wonder. It was pretty loud on that play in the stadium. So I wonder if Nelson just didn't hear the It was the a clap. first 10, yeah. It was like the first yeah. play of the drive. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah, I mean, that could be it. But, I mean, that's part of blocking, I guess, right? So um, yeah. Yeah, Haskins, yeah. Haskins, Glazer, and Talapapa were credited with the other three sacks. And then Bryce Perkins actually was credited with the ninth, which didn't count in the stats. So I'm not exactly – that might have just been like a run for a loss or something. Um, but, yeah, I mean, so that's almost all the pressures from the edge. Uh, I'd have to go back and look at the tackles for loss, but a lot of those happened in the running game. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it seems like it's, it's, you know, you have to have that internal clock in your head and maybe part of the problem is, and we're going to, I was going to talk about this later, but 
maybe the fact that Bryce isn't 100%, and I know for a fact from watching last season, some of these plays I feel like he would have taken off. If you just look at the number of runs he has per game versus last year, it has to be way down. Um, I mean, some of his touchdowns last year were on passing plays. He just ran for touchdowns, right? Um, some of these plays, maybe he could he could take off. Think you know, like last year, maybe these issues didn't pop up as much because he was getting out of there quicker. Um, and now he's trying to sit back there and make a pass, which you know a lot of quarterbacks can't run anyway, so <laughs> still have to be able to block. But yeah, it seems like the edges are the issue, or at least they were against Notre Dame, which is a little problematic for Miami since they run a kind of similar defensive scheme and they have talent on their defensive line. Uh, so UVA is going to have to be a lot more, you know, scheme sound and, and figure out who the guys are at tackle because uh, whether I don't know exactly why they're rotating guys in and out um, and like how that's working. But, you know, at some point, maybe you either stick with the five guys or, you know, I, I don't know. You just have to figure out like what the best combination is and why guys are getting beat. I think. From- yeah. Ahead, when you talk, the other thing for me, the other thing I was going to say is, and I don't think we've discussed this before, but when you look at the guys we're playing this year, um, they didn't play a whole lot of snaps last year, right? I mean, not all of them. Um, so basically, Rankins, Meyer, and Nelson. Yeah. So the other guys were getting their experience in practice, but let's think about who they were blocking in practice last year. Like by the end of the year, we had two dudes. So I mean, they went the bulk of the season last year, like where they probably were blocking tiny dudes, right? They were probably running scout team guys at them or running other offensive linemen, linemen at them. So it's not like they spent a full season blocking, you know, having a chance to practice against a plethora of defensive linemen that could help hone their skills with, with moves. And I do think that it's not the factor, but it's another factor that kind of has slowed their development. This year, obviously, we've got more depth of the defensive line. They should be able to simulate more game stuff. Um, but I do think when you're young, when you take it, when you're young and you're not getting to play, and when you're likely not practicing against guys that are the size of the ones you're gonna see in the games, that certainly stunts your development. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think too, um, man. I, I think that this could be a situation where Notre Dame was sort of killing two birds with one stone. And what I mean by that is, we all know that la- even last year when Bryce was 100%, and to Ferber's point, when he was able to break out and, and, and really turn something um, that wasn't there into something that um, you know, worked well for UVA, like, he, he, he seemed to struggle if you could, if you could bring pressure from the outside and, and, and basically angle it in. Do you know what I mean? Like where he would do that thing where he was don't sort of, give him anywhere to run. Yeah, it wasn't even like you didn't even have to get out super wide, right? You just sort of had to come at him from the edges, and not necessarily on pressure by itself, just in terms of of muddying the water. Like what if you could if you could essentially put stuff on his radar that clouded the 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 canvas, so to speak, right? He struggled. He would do a thing where, and he still, and he did it some Saturday where he would like kind of almost look down, and he's kind of he's kind of almost like seeing if he can see in his periphery like where the place to 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 shoot was. And and in a couple of these pressures, if you if you saw like a replay, there was an angle for him, you know, if he steps up and then through. But it happens so fast, and it's coming from the edges that 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 depth is, it's almost a little bit misleading in a way, right? Um, you're, you're constantly, I think if you're a quarterback like Bryce is who can move, you're always thinking that, that you're just, that you just need just a little bit more time. And if you don't have it, you can still run. Right. And that's, he had, he did such a fabulous job. I think in that first half of reading and throwing, um, 
and Notre Dame really changed that on him. I'm a little bit concerned that UVA didn't, you know, shift things around. Um, I didn't see a whole lot of adjusting, but then, you know, when, when dudes are just losing one-on-one matchups, there's not, I guess, a whole lot you can do. I just think that Notre Dame benefited both from the pressure they were bringing in general and from the way that it was also hemming Bryce in. I don't think that the, I don't think that the latter is what informed the former. Like, I don't think they were bringing that pressure specifically because that's how they wanted to hem him in. I think they were just trying to get to him, and that's the best way that they could do it. I don't – I mean, maybe it was a, a you know, a tangential sort of thing, but I, I just thought that um, they did a really nice job of both hemming him in and bringing pressure straight into his feet, straight into him. And there wasn't – there were some of those some of those sacks, man. I mean, yeah, he – a healthier Bryce probably gets out. Some of them, man, I don't know – I don't know if that would be the case or not. I just, I just think that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, both of the strip sacks. Well, one, the the first strip sack, he didn't even really get sacked. He kind of just like the ball just got knocked out of his hand. The second one, he got absolutely destroyed, and there was no way he could. I mean, it was literally like a second after he snapped the ball. Like, there's nothing he could have done about that. But yeah, I mean, some it just feels like like the first one, for example, it just feels like he could have maybe gotten out of the pocket a little bit right. or stepped up or something. I'm not trying to put it on him though, because yeah, 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 for sure. And even the two picks he had, he was just trying to make stuff happen at the end of the game. Yeah. One, he got his arm hit, and the other one, you know, just trying to make a play. So I mean, it looks bad for him if you look at the stats, and he has five turnovers, and they're all his. And I'm not saying that that's you know completely acceptable or, or good, but at the at the same time, I I think. You know, he he gave them a chance to win the game more so than he lost. For it. sure, for sure. One other yeah, thing, I, I, we ahead. talked about it before, but I don't I don't think we can like we've got to establish a run game. Like no Tom Brady can't sit in the pocket and pass if there's no threat of a run game. Um, and that's by the second half, like Notre Dame did not care about our run game, so they were able to just go after the quarterback. It didn't matter who was there. They figured that we would they would tackle him for someone else would get him right. So, to me, like, no, no offensive lineman can, can defend, well, <laughs> very few offensive linemen can defend every pass rusher when they have no threat of a run game. So, that's got to be fixed, whether it's fixed by getting the offensive line better so there's actually a run game or incorporating more quick slants and, and deceptive screens and, and stuff like that on the edge to slow those guys down. It's hard to say it's all on one person, um, but by the end, by late third quarter into the fourth, um, Notre Dame had no fear of us running the ball. They had a lead, and we were behind the chains like often. So it just it was a recipe for disaster. And plus, the crowd got loud there, and you know communication became an issue, and you know things just broke down. And, and it happens. Luckily, it wasn't a conference opponent. Um, but you know, it's to me, it's it's the run game's got to get fixed. Um, there's no training manual, right, for for going from from playing as well as Price did in the first half to you know to struggling the way that the offense did in the second half. I can't I can't imagine how difficult that must be. Um, but I, I but I do think though that the experience that they got in that first half and the experience that they got in the second half will help, will make them a better team. Um, speaking of experiences, I want to talk to you cats about being uh in south bend before we do that let's take our break the cats corner podcast brought to you this week as always by the good folks over at second string sports um <clears throat> second string sports is all about offering you new and quality used sports equipment so if you play baseball softball football or soccer second string has the gear that you need the newest bats and gloves from demarini louisville slugger easton rollins wilson and evo shield are all on the shelves today and ready to go to the field along with you 
Now, let's say you've got something from last season you don't need anymore. Maybe you've got a son or a daughter. Maybe they're not playing this or they're not playing that anymore. If you bring your used uh, merchandise to Second String, you can get a credit towards your next purchase. You can check them out online at secondstringsports.com, second with a two, secondstringsports.com, or you can check out their store in Waynesboro, 2627 Stewart's Draft Highway. First string quality, first string service, second string sports. Our thanks again to Second String for their support of the show and all of CavsCorner.com. All right, so you guys went to Notre Dame. Uh, tell the people. Tell the people all the fun things that you guys got to do and all the – um, all the great sights and sounds and things that you got to experience. Go ahead. Just tell them all. Break my heart. It's fine. It's fine. It's yeah, fine. I mean, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 I, I will consider it a bucket list item checked off. As much as I'm not a huge Notre Dame fan, like it, it's part of the football fabric, right? Um, Notre Dame, Rudy, you know, their, their rich history. Uh, so, it, I mean, it was definitely – I, I've been looking forward to this trip since they scheduled the game. I've been planning on making it, and luckily I made it. Uh, and it was fun. We got out there, what, Thursday, right? For Ferber and I. And yeah. Terrence flew out to Chicago on Thursday, and then we drove in. Um, we stayed about 20 miles outside of South Bend with a group of nine. Um, on Friday, we went in and checked out the campus, did the campus tour, went out, did the stadium tour. Basically, the tunnel Notre Dame enters, you can – walk down and you know yeah, that's, that's super cool. nice yeah i um, mean yeah they're nice like on per- like it's like a an agenda <laughs> like, yeah yeah they, they make it a very like hey welcome to campus like in the middle of the you know day or whatever but i mean yeah, that's good it's better than the alternative virginia fans there on friday there were some there weren't there weren't a ton but what's interesting is there's a ton of notre dame people there yes. on friday it was like notre going dame- to the national mall in dc like i was yeah, thinking was. about that yeah, so evidently there's a lot there's a lot of Notre Dame people who come to Notre Dame for their first Notre Dame game ever. Um, whether that's the Catholic tie in yeah. or just the, the hugeness of the fan base. I mean um, they're national and then also I think it's not just the first game, it's just like the first game they go to like one game every four years or two games every three years. You know, it's just not uh there's not a lot going on. I mean, you can get into it, but like South Bend <laughs> is not not exactly like in the middle of everything. So I don't think there's a lot of like Notre Dame alums living nearby, except for in Chicago, which is still two hours away. Exactly. Yeah. You know, um, you know, the drive-in wasn't easiest because there's a lot of traffic between Chicago and South Bend. Um, but yeah, so Friday we we went out in the field and the ushers were nice and took a picture of our group and we went saw the Golden Dome and. Uh, Basilica and all that stuff when it's all the grotto. Um, it was cool to see it because you've heard about it for years. So Touchdown Jesus, all that stuff. And then we went to a, a bar there in South Bend and hung out with all the Notre Dame folks um, before the rain started and we all headed back. And then Saturday, the day of the game, I mean, I'll give it to them. Like, what did we do Friday night, Dave? Uh, I believe we hate watched a football game. <laughs> And God, that was that was like a weird experience for me because usually I watch Tech alone money. and yeah. people were like losing their minds watching this Tech game. Yeah, people would have Virginia fans would have paid money for a live stream of that hate watching from non people. Ferber texted me at one point. That was a live podcast. That would have been a big one. Ferber texted me at one point. It was like, man, these folks really hate Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have no idea. Hope my wife doesn't listen to the podcast. Um, but yeah, it was it was fun. And then Saturday we got up and tailgated. Uh, we got at what nine thirty? I say we got to South Bend. Yeah, pretty good um, time. It was kind of raining, so I mean, not a huge rush to get down there and stand in the rain. But 
It cleared yeah. up by the time the game started. But yeah, I'll give it to Notre Dame. Like their tailgating scene is legit. Like there's a ton of people. Um, yeah, a lot and more people than like, end up in the stadium. And, and yeah. it's not just that. It's also like the cool thing I like to the thing that kind of stuck with me from the game day is like if you go to a UVA game, um, and that might not be the best example considering the problems UVA's had getting people to games. But even back when it was you know sixty thousand every week. People tailgate in the parking lots and they go to the game. That seems like a very normal college football experience. But at Notre Dame, it's like people just walk around the campus drinking, which, like, because you can, because there's no open container and you can just drink on the campus. So people will go do all the pregame things that Notre Dame has a bunch of traditions um, and just, like, walk around on the, the, you know, whatever you want to call them, quads. (laughs) Um, And, I mean, the lots are crazy. But, like, yeah, it's, it's cool. It's like... It's like you're not confined to just standing in a parking lot. You can go do other stuff and still feel like you're pre-gaming for the game. Yeah, so we, we parked at what Holy Cross. Um, yeah, it's like a public lot. You're probably like the equivalent of like a little yeah. bit further away Man, from Scott U-Haul. Stadium, like U-Haul, maybe like a little further away than that, like a shuttle away. What are we going to do where we can't refer to that parking lot as U-Haul anymore? Yeah, yeah. What McHugh Center? <laughs> North. McHugh Center parking lot. Yeah. So yeah, uh, we did that Saturday, and then went towards the stadium. Uh, took the shuttle towards the stadium and went to the lots near the stadium, which were incredibly crazy. It was like a frat party for. If you took the east and west lot, east and west lots at UVA, and doubled the size and put them right in front of the stadium, and like every person, and then had every tent. person there with the tent and a setup. Like it was, you you had to excuse people to walk through. There's no way anyone's driving in two hours before the game, um, so that was pretty fun to see. Uh, no trash talk for the most part, which kind of sucks when you're when you're if you've been. Yeah, I didn't hear game. any. I didn't hear like any disparaging really, except for stupid people making yeah. terrible jokes. But I mean, for the most part, it was. I, I just don't think there's much of like they don't have any animosity towards UVA because they don't like. Notre Dame people care about football. They don't really care about basketball as much. I, I know that's probably going to be, you know, rebuffed by Notre Dame fans if they heard it. But, like, I don't think their losses to UVA in basketball rankle them. Like, if they, you know, like losing to Navy in football would or something like that. Yeah. It's, so it's just kind of like, hey. And for them, it's like every game they get the other team coming in, you know, like first time they've been there. Yeah. So it's probably old hat for them at this point. Yeah, I mean, we'll say there were points at the day on Saturday where people were like, were saying, good luck, hope you're having a good time. Um, there was a point, I would say, noonish on Saturday, where I just started just telling someone, can you just talk a little trash? Just say a little something. Um, we did hear, I did hear one Go Hokies chant, which got under my skin, and he knew it, and he laughed. And um, But for the most part, it was zero. Like, it was, look. That's a bold man after a 45-10 to 10 loss to Duke. Yeah, that is. Um I mean, I think he was being funny. I, I'm not yeah. sure. Maybe he didn't think we were – maybe he thinks we're the Hogan's. I don't know. But um, I will say, and I, I don't want to disparage Notre Dame. Like, they have a rich history. But the experience as a whole, as great as it was because it was you know, with the great group. We had a great group there. and We had a good, great time. Um, but the university is not what I expected. I wish I could have gone before all the renovations. Because, honestly, if you'd have told me they built that campus They've wanted the campus ago, to be shit here. I did. Like, there was, like, didn't it? Uh, it almost feels like Disney built Notre Dame. It's, it is, it's a very, it's a, I would say it's a very nice campus. Like, as far it as, is. like, it, it's, it looks modern. It has, like, a lot of historical looking things. But yeah. And the stadium itself is, like, not what you expect, probably. 
No, um, it's if not. you've watched Rudy, it's kind of like honestly, if you watch Rudy, it looks kind of like a dump. Like it's just like an old dump. That's what um, I wanted to see. <laughs> but but yeah, it's not like that anymore. They did this huge like billion dollar renovation to it where they built all these buildings like around the outside, and it, it's it's kind of like a. It's just like a big brick structure now. Um, and the, the, well, for Brad's sake, like the inside baseball stuff, the media, uh, like the it's the nicest college press box I've ever been in. Um, great setup at the top of the stadium. Um, it's kind of weird getting to the locker rooms and stuff because you have to like go completely. It's it's weird, but it, it's a great. They do a great job of setting all that stuff up. But Dave does have a point in terms of like the. Uh, it feels a little bit more generic than I thought it would. But once yeah. the game, like the game day stuff started happening, it was like, okay, this is cool. Yeah, but even, you know, um, you can literally stand like 10 yards away from the stadium and not know you're at the stadium if mm-hmm. someone just dropped you there. Yeah, it looks a like to... a campus building, like on a college yeah. campus. But I mean, I mean, I don't mean this too disparagingly, but it did feel like, because everything has been redone recently, like all the, most of the buildings have been renovated. I mean, honestly, it looked like it could have been built five or 10 years ago, and when you combine that with the way the ushers are like overly nice, like a Disney personnel, that's what I got. Like it was like Disney does Notre Dame. Um, and once you got inside the stadium, like it, you know, and you started seeing the band and hearing the song, then I started getting some of the tradition. That's but what I'm outside, saying. Like once the game day started, yeah. it was like, okay, this is a Notre Dame game. Like it feels different, you know. But even funny when I watched the rewatch and watched the NBC broadcast, the game felt different than it did inside. Like. Um, so it's look, it was fun. I'm, I'm glad we did it. Uh, I thought the Virginia fans that did travel there, I know a lot of people had trouble getting in with the weather on Friday. A lot of people ended up having to fly. That was another Saturday thing morning. is the weather was like pretty bad the entire yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, we but got, yeah, I, I was just gonna say like it, it. I would say my my like one sentence review is agreeing with a lot of what Dave's saying. I would say it's worth doing. Uh, it is kind of a pain in the ass to get there. Um, kind of would be a nice statement. Yeah, I, honestly, if I was recommending it, because I know UVA is going back there in a few years, go to Chicago, stay in Chicago, and just come in the morning of the game, unless it's like a weird game time. Um, yeah, if it's a 3.30 or another late. Another thing, I mean, the morning. most disappointing thing for me, honestly, was that there is just like, I mean, maybe we didn't do the right things, but there just wasn't a lot to do there. Like, I mean, like when we were looking for places to go for lunch and stuff, they just weren't, like they're the options. It's not like they have a corner area like UVA does where there's a ton of stuff like in a big area where people are out, you know, at bars and stuff. There's like a little strip of stuff right there, but not much. Um, but I would say it's worth doing. It's worth going and doing all of the Notre Dame stuff because if you're just going to the game, it's just, you know, just a game. But, I mean, you can go to the Dome and go to, you know, Touchdown Jesus, and it's all right there. And, yeah, and You can do it in an hour. Yeah, right. But it's like, yeah, it's a quick thing. It's it's worth going there. And it's a I would I would call it a special sort of place where it's just different. Like, obviously, the religion angle, it, it makes I could see where it would be very attractive to, to Catholics specifically, just because it's like it's just, it, you know, it, it's very special to them. And But they don't it's not like over the top. Like, you kind of just feel like you're on a regular college campus. Um, and, I, I, you know, but at the same time, I, I think that. It, it's it's not like going to like the, an SEC sort of environment. It's no. it, but it is a special place, and there is some cool stuff, and uh, you can kind of see why it is what it is. You know? Yeah. Would you agree? Like South Bend, you think being two hours from Chicago and in Indiana and all this stuff, and, and knowing Notre Dame your entire life if you're a college football fan, that it's like in a big town. 
I would say yeah, I always maybe, thought we haven't talked about this kind of like a big like a small big city like a like a Richmond or not not quite that big but it's, you know like, it's a Blacksburg. Yeah, it feels yeah, and it's also the thing is I don't know if this might just be Indiana in general, <laughs> but like there is literally nothing, nothing outside of there. Like you drive two minutes outside of Notre Dame's campus and you're on the interstate and there's like, oh, well, if you need gas, you got to go like 80 miles to get it. <laughs> like there's nothing like when we had to go to the store to get stuff, it was like an extra miles. You had to go into a different state. You had to go to Michigan. <laughs> yeah. It was we like got, we had pizza from Michigan Friday night. Yeah, it was just it was one of those things where it was like that part of it. I was like, whoa, there is like nothing. It's very, very rural, like right outside. Yeah, it's more like Blacksburg than than. And even Blacksburg's more built up than what we saw because, like, Christiansburg yeah. has all the big box stores and stuff. We didn't see anything like that. But, um, but it's for the it was, it was still a great time. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. It was cool to do it. Now, I, now I know what it's like. Uh, the, the game itself, like, the way that the, their production of everything is very, very, very good. Um, like, the way that they, you know, the PA announcer is awesome, the video stuff is great. Um, obviously, having the NBC tie in is huge for them, and you can see why they'll never give that up. Um, they have an NBC studio like on the campus, so it's it's pretty wild. But I mean, it yeah, was cool. there's a bathroom there. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we found that out. Um, it it was cool though. I mean, like you know, it, it felt like you're in a historic place, like in the stadium. Uh, outside the stadium, yeah, maybe not uh, as much. But um, I'm glad I went. And uh, yeah, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't maybe like if you have it on a list of stuff to do. I don't know if it should be at the top. No, I would agree with that. It, it probably was. I'd, rather, near the I'd top. rather go to like the, like there's a lot of SEC sort of environments that I'd rather go to. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, we had a great time. I'm glad we did it. Um, Brad, if you if you get a chance to do it next time, I would still do it. Yeah, I think. But I think, I think I mean, staying in Chicago media, would be the better. Especially way. for the media part, because it, it is a good setup and it's it's a cool stadium and and it's it's you know it's it's definitely cool to check it out. But yeah, I mean, I like say, I said, you're not gonna be you're not gonna be like. Uh, in the height of metropolis in South Bend. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like if you could go fly into Chicago, come in the game morning of the game, you have plenty of time to do the tour with the beer in hand. If you want, um, the day, the morning of the game, if it's a later than noon kickoff, yeah. if you want to stick around South Bend for the night, maybe. Cause I mean, I will say when we left the campus, what an hour after the game, after you finished your press conference, your press yeah. stuff, like the parking lots were still full. Um, and they were still tailgating, so there was some stuff there. But yeah, it was, it was fun. It was, we all took a lot of pictures, and uh, yeah, I can't, I can't believe it's over now. I got to figure out the next road game. Yeah, uh, Georgia. Um, <laughs> if you are somebody, are you jealous? That sum it up for you, Brad. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good summation. Um, I mean, Brad's gotten to do some pretty damn cool things. He was yeah. at the Final Four. Yeah, yeah. so were you. Whoa, 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 whoa! So were you. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, yeah. That's he's cool. like, oh, that's right. Yeah, um, that's fine. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it, and uh, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Um, if you're somebody, <laughs> I, I'm playing it up for comedic effect. I was, I'm, I, I wish I had been able to go, but. Uh, All's well that ends well. I can tell you what, after they lost that game, there was a part of me was like, man, I'm kind of glad I'm in Virginia right now. Um, if you are somebody who Well, found- I mean, the obvious – another thing is if they, if they had you won the game – Well, if they had won the game, I probably would be – you know, it would have it been absolutely 100% like worth it if they had won the game, but they didn't. And honestly, an onside kick, I mean, they really – like if they had scored on that drive, they might have won the game. Well, that's true. That's, that's true. You guys got anything else for the good of the record? 
I mean, the good of the order for the or anything for the record for the good of the order. No, let's just get to the next one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, spoiler alert. Um, if you are somebody who found the website, or excuse me, found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen, if you don't mind. Look us up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, wherever it is that you may get your podcasts and your shows. Give us a rating or a review. It helps to get us out in front of more people, and we very much appreciate that. If you are somebody who has found the pod but has not given us a look at the site, check us out, CavsCorner.com. Right now, you can check out, let's see, column from Monday uh, morning, uh, looking back at the loss in South Bend and what's up with the line. Uh, Ferber got some video for me of uh, Bryce Hall talking about the loss as well. Um, we got a feature on the site looking at the monster contributions from Hasis Dubois and Joe Reed, which unfortunately, you know, we didn't talk at length about, but certainly deserved um, a lot of praise and a lot of kudos. And, and we'll be interested to see what they can do going forward. Uh, we also broke down the numbers, or I did, uh, of the redshirting front, kind of looking at who's played too much for one, who's on the cusp, that kind of thing. Uh, you can check out the pro football focus grades for week five uh, we mentioned. Uh, I think it told a, an interesting story on both sides of the ball. If you have not already, please check out the Fanatics link. Uh, anything you purchase there, UVA or otherwise, if you use that link, helps to support the site. Very much appreciate that. And lastly, I want to thank Thorin Wealth for sponsoring CavsCorner.com all season long and uh, also Second String Sports for their uh, support as well. You can visit ThorianWealth.com for more information, full disclosures. Also, check out SecondStringSports.com, second with a two. Again, I want to thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show and thank Dave and Ferber for giving graciously of their time, as always, and sharing their long um, recap of their experience in Notre Dame. I think that's definitely the longest I've ever gone on a podcast without talking. Um, I didn't like it. Uh, but I very much appreciate you guys for, for doing everything you do. So thank you for that. For David Spence and Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.